0: Hello boys and girls, welcome to this episode of Seeking Satya podcast where I interview entrepreneurs, artists, musicians, writers, athletes, scientists, doctors and more from eclectic fields in the hopes that we can put aside their superhuman stature and learn from their human abilities like building powerful habits, being curious, and afraid right to try new things and much more. Today my guest is Sriram Imani. Sriram is the co-founder and CEO of Indian Raga He is a 2015 Global Fellow with the International Society for the Performing Arts, where he was the only Indian out of 52 fellows from across the world. Sriram represented USA at the Global Creative Business Conference in Copenhagen, Denmark, after Indian Raga won the U.S. Creative Business Cup in 2012. Sriram was selected amongst the first batch of 12 Tata Fellows at the MIT Tata Center for Technology and Design. He is an alumnus of MIT Sloan School of Management, where he was one out of five students to be awarded the prestigious Siebel Scholarship for Academic Excellence and Leadership. Sriram, thanks for coming on the show.
1: Pleasure to be here. Thank you for having me.
0: I have to get this out of my way. Uh, I'm sure you probably get this all the time in the music space, but your last name was interesting. <laughs> uh, it's, it's the same last name as one of the greatest veena players from India, Shankar Sastri.
1: You know, I actually spent so much time digging back and asking my parents if we actually have a connection. Um, I don't think I have found that yet, but given the passion for music, I'm sure there must be something. Yep. Uh, although I have to say my mother's maiden name uh, was Maladi. Oh, sweet. So there we have the Maladi brothers too. So, you know, if I could just add both of those, I'd probably be the most powerful last name in kannada music.
0: Oh, wow. <laughs> nice jiggle, bandi. Nice, nice. Man, there is so much I want to talk to you about. Um, I made some notes, so I'd probably be jumping back and forth. And I also like to keep this organic. Uh, I I don't like the Q&A style, so I'll try to keep it organic. I like to create the story that sort of takes us back into uh, the story of Ram Imani and uh, really give that humanized perspective to folks that are listening. Uh, I want to learn how you built Indian Raga. How you got there, what are the challenges, lessons learned, mm-hmm. and where you're going, what your moonshots are. But before we go there, mm-hmm. want to take us back a few years. Uh, where did you grow up? Yeah. And where were you, were you entrepreneurial when you are growing up? Just want to uh, touch on some of those early days.
1: I, I grew up in Mumbai uh, to... Uh, Parents from Antra, who had uh, my dad's from Vizag and my mom's from Rajamandri. So they moved to Bombay after, after the marriage, and uh, dad was working in software. And uh, I grew up, and at the time, <clears throat> I had no idea what entrepreneurship was. I had never thought I would ever be one. And uh-huh. in both extended sides of my family, I think no one, to my knowledge, had ever started a company or done anything in business. <laughs> So while I was growing up, the idea was to just go become an engineer, go to a PhD, you know, do as much as possible in education and technology. economics yeah. and uh, just that's, that's what it was. Um, I did, however, have a very early exposure to Carnatic classical music. So my mom, when she was in Rajamandri, was a huge fan and she used to go for all the kacheris at the local temple every week. And she wanted to learn. And at that time, in Andhra, I don't think there were either enough teachers or girls were not allowed to kind of go too far away to learn.
0: It's probably more or less the same. I mean, it's probably a little different, but it hasn't come a long way.
1: But at the time, there wasn't much of that happening. So I think at that time, she resolved that when she has kids, they will learn classical music. (laughs) So that happened to me. So she put me, uh, you know, she was my first teacher. She taught me all the basics. And then after that, she sent me to a teacher in the neighborhood and uh, she still remembers, I, I, I was so fascinated and so excited, you know, about learning it, that she would tell me that uh, even when it was raining, I would still insist on taking my cycle and just being like, oh my, it's only five minutes away, I won't get that wet. And would just kind of go zooming through the rain just to learn. Oh, that was,
0: that was you taking the bicycle and going, not your mom putting you on the bicycle. <laughs> wow, that's very interesting. So you had the strong inclination for it. It wasn't something that was forced on you as much.
1: No, it wasn't forced on me at all, actually. Oh, sweet, uh, Very little that my parents have forced on me. <laughs> but I think uh, one of the things, you know, now when I talk to parents is also that uh, just having music in the house all around you can sometimes be the subtle influencer in kids learning versus you play all of the other kind of stuff at home and then suddenly take your child to a class and say, now you have to sit and sing, mm-hmm. you know, Carnatic uh, classical music. That could be very daunting. That doesn't feel like uh, there is no sense of familiarity. But if you can kind of have that at home, so I remember when my parents were, I mean, when I was young, when I was two years old or something, uh, my dad, when my parents, all of us, uh, we traveled across the world um, mm-hmm. because my dad had many projects internationally and they would play a mix of both MSU Balakshmi and the Beatles at home. Got it. So I think having that, when I started learning, I'm quite sure it didn't sound like something totally Greek and Latin or new there probably was a sense of familiarity or that, oh, I've heard this before. And I think that really helps in developing a bond or a connection with the music than feeling like this is something new and alien.
0: Oh, wow. Yeah, um, that's very interesting. I mean, just want to dig a little bit into, not, that, not to digress too much, but um, so they were playing music and you're saying that helped you sort of get a perspective of not just pure classical, but also the other types of music out there. From very early on, two years old, you said. Um, um, I don't.
1: I can't claim to remember. Uh, that time. <laughs> so basically, whenever I have early on parents, they were playing all kinds of music at the time, and I remember even growing up, there was really no distinction between this is the right kind of music to uh-huh. listen to or the wrong kind. They were just like everything available. So you had like your pop music, you had your classical music, you had. So the idea was just that listen to good music, and it it, it could be anything.
0: Yeah. And this was all up until when you were in Rajamandri? And then no, no, you... I was oh,
1: my, my mom grew up there.
0: That was it. But you yeah. pretty much grew up in Bombay all through. Yeah. yeah. Got it. Got it. Uh, and in Bombay, um, uh, I see you've gone to IT Bombay and uh, did your engineering undergrad there. Uh, you were involved with Mood Indigo. That was, How was uh, uh What was the highlight of that experience uh, as a coordinator of Mood Indigo?
1: So there were quite a few. I mean, Mood Indigo, I think, still remains one of my strongest and most influential leadership experiences because you're leading uh, indirectly a team of 500 IITs, like all of whom are very high achievers and all of whom are sort of extremely ambitious. And the scale of the festival is immense. I mean, it's four days and four nights. And we basically innovated and brought in so many new events and so many new things, including late night shows, Uh, a full-fledged, like, classical finale uh, for all the classical music and dance competitions. Um, We brought back the fashion show that was banned, you know, just a year ago. We increased the sponsorship substantially that year, brought in new media partners. So there was a lot of things related to organizing events in a structured fashion that I think I developed those through Mode Indigo. And it really came in handy later on because one of the things I see in the arts is that You have a lot of creative people, Mm -hmm. but there isn't enough of managers. And I think a healthy perspective
0: or business acumen isn't necessarily the forte of creative folks.
1: Yeah. And I think having both has helped all other industries, like even in science and technology. I mean, you have the scientists and you have the product guys and like you have the people who are building the technology, but then that's supported through the CEO or the marketing people or the sales people and they might not always like each other, but I think they play a very crucial role in helping that thing go to market in a sustainable way. And I think it's high time you spoke about how that happens in arts and entertainment in India.
0: Yeah, yeah, I mean, and this was this was in a way, sort of like a real stepping stone to a lot of the things that you're applying now. Mm-hmm. Uh, and you've, um, that's a huge uh, endeavor, I didn't realize it was a pretty big, and you had like a lot of these Sony's and stars as media partners for this event?
1: Oh, well, not. Or how
0: did, what do you mean by media partners? Was it like a local, like a um, Bombay-based businesses and things like that, that were sponsoring the Mood Indigo event?
1: Oh, Mood Indigo is sponsored by some of the, at the time it was Vodafone. Ah. Uh, Today I'm sure it's like, I unfortunately haven't been following the sponsorship route, but usually the ones, the most... uh, influential corporate sponsors are the sponsors of more Indigo. So it could be a telecom company, it could be like Ola cabs, I'm sure it's like looking at sponsoring it. Yep. Uh, Times of India and some of the top publications are media partners, you have TV partners, you have live concert partners, you have all of them.
0: Wow, that's it's a, huge. You
1: know, it's a massive endeavor. And I think just going through that whole thing and coming out on the other hand, still alive, I think you're <laughs>
0: yeah. um, oh, Wow, and this four day four night thing. And do you happen to do this um, because of your interest in like creative plus business? That was something that you um, developed while at IIT Bombay or?
1: Yeah. So to be honest, I went into IIT Bombay to do engineering, but yeah. I, I ended up doing a whole ton of performing arts. So in ah, my first okay. year, I helped organize the McKay National Convention yeah. uh, in IIT Bombay. After that, I was basically the head of the speakers club. I was a board member of the panel member and in the campus newsletter. I was the uh, debating secretary of my hostel Mm -hmm. and then went on to become uh, the head of competitions at Mood Indigo. And at the time, the motivation really was to kind of do these interesting collegiate arts competitions and sort of have innovative stuff happening. So I launched the first ever ballroom dance competition. I lost the first ever solo impromptu dance competition. We changed the whole format of the theater competition and we did a whole bunch of things. And then because I developed and demonstrated strong leadership in pulling off the competitions department, I was invited to become the overall coordinator. Uh, I mean, it was of course a selection process, but I kind of uh, went in and applied. And uh, I, I don't think I came into IT Bombay thinking any of this would happen, but I just, uh, Was really, really passionate about it. I remember at the time, really thinking that there was so much meaning and purpose associated with doing all of these activities. Mm. And I should have known at the time that I should just be in arts and entertainment full time.
0: (laughs) Wow. Uh, That's, that's amazing. So you went in for this specific, small niche engineering program, Mm -hmm. Uh, probably was it chemical or whatever that was. Mm and then, then it just opened up to this whole gamut of the big universe out there that really picked your interest. Yeah. Uh, oh, what a magic, what a magical time, huh?
1: It was. I mean, those four years spent in IIT were one of, they still remain some of my most beautiful and uh, high growth uh, ones.
0: High growth. Wow. There we go. And where did you go from there? Right after...
1: I, um, I went into a company called Opera Solutions that does management consulting, or at least did management consulting at the time. The thing that was exciting to me <clears throat> was that they had a global staffing model, and I've always been a, a bit of a traveler, and I really, really wanted to travel a lot. And they offered the experience or the opportunity of going abroad very early on. And uh, I got in, uh, I mean, it's only a coincidence that the company's name is Opera Solutions. They... Totally <laughs> connection to arts and entertainment. To do
0: with opera. <laughs>
1: <laughs> yeah, so I went in there and I started working in Delhi, in their Delhi office. But within six months, I was doing very well, so they offered to send me on a project to New Jersey. Hmm. And uh, I went there, I remember, in December 2007, which is less than six months after graduating. And, um, i had gone there and coincidentally two of my best friends from campus also happened to be working on projects in New York.
0: Uh And,
1: uh, one of them happened to mention that, Hey, like you really love entertainment and all of that. Like, have you checked out this Broadway musicals? Sure. I'm like, that sounds phenomenal. I just haven't ever seen it. So what do I do? And, um, my project was in New Jersey and we would come back every Thursday to Manhattan and stay there over the weekend. So I'd been trying to figure out how to get, uh, you know, and go and see a Broadway musical for quite some time. So one Thursday afternoon, I just finished all my work really early because Friday, Saturday, Sunday, the tickets are really expensive or sold out. Yes, yeah, a lot, lot of stuff. work. Out. So awesome. it wasn't possible for me to pay those humongous prices. Hmm. So one Thursday afternoon, I just like finished all my work early and told my boss, hey, I'd really love to go back into town and check this out. And, you know, I remember kind of going, it was December, so it was still pretty chilly. And, um, we were all, we were getting late, and my friend told me, "Listen, if you don't come on time, they shut the door. You, 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 you'll, you'll be missing some of the stuff." So I got off wherever I had to get off, and then from there it was 13 blocks away. <laughs> In that, like chilly winter, I remember like running those 13 blocks like a madman just couldn't make it. On time, to see Phantom of the Opera,
0: Phantom of the Opera,
1: and I remember that night after I came out of that because I had no idea, like I didn't know they sang, acted, and danced at the same time. Uh, So looking at those sets and just the quality of the live performance, the music, I was in a daze. Like, I don't think I slept that night. I was just wandering around New York City with my friend and just talking about all of the possibilities and how this should happen in India and how, you know, young artists are getting promoted and how the quality of everything was so beautiful. So I think that in many ways was like one of the turning points where I thought I need to be in this space. I didn't know doing what, in what capacity, which organization. But I was just like, okay, I'm, you know, I'm meant to be here is is, Ah. is the sense I got from there. Wow. Wow. Yeah. But growing up, you never think of, you know, oh, Oh, yeah, but yeah, that was, that was definitely one of the first, uh, first moments.
0: Wow. Um, I'm reminded, I mean, this is a long time ago. Um, We were doing a project between like MIT and Harvard. There was one common class. There was um, sort of an entrepreneurial class and then we were, um, I was working with a guy from HBS and he was directing a play which kind of really reminded me when you talked about Broadway. I mean, it opened up the how the Harvard Business School students put together the show on stage. Uh-huh. It was phenomenal. I mean, it was, it was a mini Broadway in Harvard, but. The whole live action with all these props and backdrops, and it was just phenomenal. And the song and dance and everything. Yeah. Uh, I can only imagine this must be like 100 times more. uh, And then, you know, this was one of your first, I guess, like, uh, entries into the country and and the culture and the way things happen here, right? Yeah. Must have made a big impression on you. Wow.
1: Very much so. so. And, you know, that's that's also the age when you sort of think you're invincible and, you know, Uh It's still like everything
0: doing. and like, oh, shit, there's so much more. Yeah. Um, and on that sort of like note of f- taking that small germ of an idea that you had and said, I'm, you said, I'm going to do something in this space. This space really resonates with me. Um, uh, I
1: knew it resonated with me and I knew that this is what I would ideally like to do. Huh. But I really didn't, didn't know where to go from there. Like I, because, you know, that was a time when Disney and Fox and all of them also had not entered India in a big way. Yeah. So today you have like, you know, all of these production houses and cinema and like you have all of these multinational entertainment mm-hmm. companies in India. But that was not the time when they were still there in a big way. So I always thought of myself still as like a management person, not as an artist. So I just thought, okay, this is great. And hopefully at some point, but I didn't really know what to do with it. But about six or seven months later, um, when I was almost done with my projects and everything in New York and was coming back to India, and I was kind of a little, uh, I mean, management consulting is amazing. It's a great learning opportunity. You kind of become very analytical. It's like a great entry job. But I was kind of getting the sense that this is not going to be me in the the long long term. So I decided to come back and I was kind of thinking of what to do next. And usually after two years of consulting, you go to business school. But sometimes you also do two years or something else before you go to business school. So some of my seniors had done that. They went into non-profits or they went into microfinance. So I just thought, okay, let me also try and do something more interesting and see if, you know, I can uh, uh, figure out like what I really like, would like to do. So I started applying to all of these microfinance companies and, you know, uh, social impact organizations. And, Hmm. um, you know, I was doing a lot of interviewing and they would ask me all these big picture questions and I would respond. Very eloquently about like how I want to kind of change the world in the future and things like that. And many times you don't realize that you're saying all of that because you know how to game the interviews, but no. maybe do actually resonate the same way. So one such interview, and I don't want to take the name of the organization, although I'm sure they'd be happy. Um, <laughs> they picked up the phone, and he suddenly asked me, "Sri what burns you the most?" Right. And I was completely taken aback because, till then, it was all about, oh, what do you want to do five years from now? And blah, blah, right. blah, 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 blah. And suddenly, this guy asked me, what burns you the most? And I still remember like babbling out, like, I just took a few seconds to think. And he was just like, no, 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 no thinking. Tell me now. Oh, wow. And I was just like, the fact that kids can grow up in this country without knowing anything about raga music, mm-hmm. is, it really burns me the most. And there was this like, awkward silence <laughs> on the other end. Well. You know, I'm sure even he thought, then why the hell are you applying here, right? right, right. right.
0: <laughs> he must have.
1: <laughs> that's the first time I was like, you know, I mean, maybe that's what I should have, you know, look at. So ultimately, I did get that offer as well. But meanwhile, I started uh, for the first time in my life, applying to uh, Sangeet Natak Academy, Indian uh-huh. Cultural Relations, the National Center for the Performing Arts. ultimately, Applying
0: to as in uh, for a job? Yeah. Oh, Wow.
1: Yeah, but I mean even even to me it was kind of like what am I doing? And my friends are like, Wait, you can work there? Like you know all of them are like, Wow, they have jobs. I'm like, I don't know, maybe they that's, do. That's you know, that's the right?
0: sad state of my knowledge, and most probably many other Indians are in the same boat. Like
1: Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's almost like they all everyone thinks like magically something happens on stage and, right. they, and they come and perform and go. Yeah, like what's happening behind the scenes, right? So I applied to all of these places and I think most of them were like the government organizations or nonprofits that didn't really have like a solid recruiting position. I think one of them even asked me like, oh, are you, doing a, are you doing an MA? I'm like, no, I did a B-Tech. And they were like, what does it have to do with the arts? I'm like, wow, like, it just seemed like two worlds apart. Yes. But anyway, um, the National Center for the Performing Arts at the time had a British arts management consultant called Owen Mortimer and uh, he came across my resume when i applied and he was tasked at the time with redoing a lot of strategic initiatives at the center and sort of you know build a new team and all of that mm-hmm. so he just saw the resume and he was like oh my god like we have to interview this guy so that really is basically what happened and uh they invited me it really helped that the chairman kind of found my company named curious opera solutions and okay. he was like oh, wait do they have something to do with opera i'm like no they don't actually uh, so things fell in place, and I had a really good time in the interview. I remember telling them very clearly that uh, I'd love to apply for the marketing and business development role, mm-hmm. where I can actually go and show value in associating with the arts and not look for a donation or spon- you know, right. role. It's the it fl- yeah. arts are dying, like please, like support them, sort of a thing. And flipping uh, that model. Yeah, you were trying to
0: flip the model over so that people are not like. We are here to take money from you, but actually we are here to give you value.
1: Value back, right? Very interesting. uh, That was the uh, interest. And uh, I was made head of marketing and business development, which I think Mm. is at such a young age to sort of be able to lead a whole team was really exciting to me. And uh, after joining the NCPA in Bombay, I realized that I was probably the youngest they had ever interviewed. So I was (laughs) at the time and... uh,
0: how did you come to that realization? Just sorry to digress, but that's very interesting. <laughs> I don't want to pass over that. Like because yeah, yeah. they must have been shocked. Who is this dude who was in his twenties and interested in classical and performing?
1: Art? Yeah, so I mean they were pretty you know interested and intrigued and probably both of us thought like let's like, just try it out and see like if yeah. it goes if not really, you know, whatever. Nothing to lose. So I was 23. My boss, who I was reporting to, was the uh, head of, you know, administration and all of those things. And he Mm -hmm. was 65. Wow. So he was older than my dad. (laughs) And then the chairman who he reported to was 75 at the time. (laughs) So it was sort of like, and everybody else at the time who were my colleagues, who were also managers, were all like 45, 50. So it was almost like, you know, a place where you came to either close to retirement or after retirement. That was not something that you would do when you were just starting off in your career. So many of them were just like, do your parents know you're here? Like, you know, (laughs) what are you going to do? And I had taken a 50% salary cut because obviously management consulting pays very, very well. And these guys were like a nonprofit. So I had taken a huge cut. But I just was, you know, like, wow. Like they had five theaters. Every evening they had some of the most amazing performances from across the world. And I couldn't be in a bigger heaven. You know, it was just me being at the center of sponsors, um, you know, audiences, media, artists, curators, and I was like the point of contact. I had to bring in the money to make all of this work.
0: Wow. That's that's like
1: uh... Like anyone who can do marketing and business development for performing arts can basically do anything in life. (laughs) It is really, really challenging. And I come from management consulting where we're used to working like 15 to 18 hours a day. And at the NCPA, like at six o'clock, it's all done. Like, you know, if, if you it's work it's after that, you're basically being a pain to others. So it was- show the
0: time after that. At six
1: o'clock and go into one of the theaters and they would like give me a seat and I would just sit and watch. So at those two years, the number of eclectic performances I have watched, I mean, mm-hmm. is, has enriched me for life, literally. Like, it's beautiful what that experience was all about.
0: Wow. And this, sorry, go ahead. No, no, so,
1: that, that phase for two years was my entry point into the world of performing arts. And really understanding, um, you know, what value the arts can add and what are some of the challenges as to why they've sort of been left behind in the India growth story. So while we've made amazing progress on technology, on science and space and research and all of these different things and commerce and business, I just feel like the performing arts kind of still operate as if we're in the time of the kings. Yeah. And uh, no one's really talking much about that or doing anything, but um, that experience at the NCPA really exposed me to why that is. So that i consider to be one of my most inspiring or like, you know, humbling starting experiences to kind of learn the history of what has been happening and how things operate. And um, it also was my testing ground. So for example, I helped them launch these things called the NCPA Signature Properties. Where, you know, they were basically just doing so many events every year, uh, uh, isolated events. And I basically said, no, you have to basically club them together, create them as festivals, have their own identity, market them to the right audience and sort of think of it that way than isolated events. So we launched a whole bunch of like festivals and seasons and uh, that really worked out very well. Hmm. Uh, The other thing I kind of really learned to do or to look at or observe is that... um, for the artists who were really popular, like Zakir Hussain would perform every year at the NCPA. And within a few hours of the box office opening, all the tickets would be sold out.
0: Right, and, like, and then there's this long tail of artists.
1: Right, so, like, so, but we would also spend more money on marketing the Zakir Hussain concert. Oh. And in my mind, I was like, he doesn't need any marketing. In fact, you're actually making people upset because tickets get sold out too soon. Yeah. But then the upcoming artist series, Barely had any marketing budget, and I'm like, we're doing a disservice to them because you know they are the ones who need the promotion.
0: Sure.
1: Uh, but of course, this is of course me thinking in a very naive fashion at that point. I, I kind of like uh, dress that statement up a little bit more today. But um, really, understanding that get, once you get there, then it's easy for everyone. Like once you become a Zakir Hussain, like you know the whole world, like whatever you do is magic. But getting there is the single biggest challenge that artists face today. And it's difficult, not only for the artists, but also for the organizers, managers, agents, uh, curators to get them there. And that I think is the biggest challenge artists have today. And uh, that's kind of become the bedrock for why Indian Rocket as well does.
0: Got it. Uh, you had talked about a couple of things I wanted to follow up. One was around, just, there is this, you've sort of dove into this space and actually were the central point of making things happen. And then you created these festivals and seasons and to targeting the right audience. Um, Didn't want to go too much into the trenches before I I had a few things before that, but wanted to just before I forget, Mm -hmm. follow up on you said you figured out why it was the way it was. Mm -hmm. Like, What was it that you thought the reasons for why, you know, you see 65, 75, 85 year olds doing these things as opposed to 23 year
1: olds? Yeah. Oh, wow. That's a great question, actually. So, um, one thing is the arts in India always had the kings as the patrons. Yeah. When you think of, you know, in the king's court, you know, artists live a life of luxury and they kind of, uh, you know, again, from the limited that I know, I'm not a historian, so I'm sure someone's going to correct me and say, dude, that is not the case. But at least from what I hear and saw and learned, you know, there was always a patron. So that's why the artist could basically say, I'm going to do what the king has asked me to do. I don't care about what the audience. Because someone's funding and someone's sponsoring all of those things. Um, And even afterwards, uh, across the world, there's been a lot of philanthropy for the arts. Like even if you look at Lincoln Center, which I worked Mm -hmm. later on uh, at the Lincoln Center, and they have an 80-member fundraising board, and they raise the most money in the world for performing arts. And then that is used to sponsor all of the productions and the activity that they have. So there's really not been this, we have to do what the audience wants. In fact, that started being looked down upon. Like, you right. patrons and this core set of connoisseurs really want, but not really what audiences want. Yep. So that kind of became a habit. And that's what you see in most cases where festivals are sponsored or they're nonprofits where someone's like donating to the cause and things like that. But they, uh, slowly what that does is there is a gap between what audiences want because pop culture has moved on and. Yeah. A different trend but these art forms and the guys are being preserved kind of remain right. exactly what they are they don't really have a lot happening in terms of like innovation or new things and just as a disclaimer like both are fine it's absolutely fine like the arts can be philanthropy based and works very well and great but who would want to have their kids become full-time artists then
0: yeah, right, so like,
1: you, you do that on the side because either you have to have a well-rounded personality, or just to kind of have social currency, or in many cases for you know other kinds of recognition, but not to do full time mm-hmm. to take it forward. Uh, so that was one thing, and the second thing is, um, I think India has also had a history of like these musician families and music and dance being restricted to certain types of families. Uh, yeah, mostly the devdasis, or afterwards like you know when the pendulum swung to the other. Hand and the Brahminical traditions and all the Brahmin families. So as a result of that, it has kind of been like restricted. It wasn't something that you kind of disseminate or make people learn everywhere, right? Uh, In fact, even when the first time I started like learning every guru, Purnima, uh, you basically have to kind of go and perform this sort of like ritual for the teacher and give this Dakshina and like all of these. And you know, I couldn't help wondering, like these are very specific, many of these traditions. and uh, today i I don't think many people do that but at the time at least you know it had a history of like you have to be from a certain caste to kind of be doing all of these things so um as a result of that we've had we we see the arts in the situation that they probably are today i'm sure there's many other like reasons too i just don't want to kind of comment that this is everything um so those were things that you're exposed to when you sort of spend time with people having a lot of conversations and the 65-75 year old thing uh, is simply because, I mean, these are not meant to be growth career options for young people. So you only do ah. this, you either made your money, Very and interesting. Power, and you just want something to do, and then you're kind of like, okay, now let me kind of devote my time to the arts, you know, sort of a thing.
0: So yes. that's it. No, that's a, such a great point. I mean, it's so practically speaking, uh, I guess Indian... Uh, either the graduates or the parents are looking for what is next for them how can they settle down yeah. is there a career path and this would probably be like the 10th or 20th or maybe not even on the list of the options for a career path for their for the child right yeah I mean, for, 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 yeah and today i don't know
1: i'm, I'm sure things are changing things like, have- there are teams at the NCP in front. Even I was kind of hiring uh, before I left, uh, there were younger people who were willing to kind of come and try out social media marketing positions and all of those. So I think that segment, that situation is definitely changing, mm-hmm. but definitely wasn't the case at that time.
0: Awesome. And then, so diving into Indian Raga. So, first of all, I mean, kudos to you, hats off. You're doing such an amazing thing. I'm so inspired freaking looking at the stuff that you're doing. Indian music and dance have not been disrupted in like forever uh, maybe it 's since dancing so i 'm just exaggerating this uh, it 's so great to see someone taking an un- unbeaten path and actually making it work in the in the confines of this new age and uh, where Where do you get this kind of conviction to do this because this is you are, Trying to change the Titanic's direction 180 degrees in a way. I mean, I'm not even talking. Maybe t- Titanic is the wrong uh, analogy here. But you know, I'm talking about a big ship of cultural and whatnot dynamics of caste and this and that, as coming from hundreds and hundreds of years. And where do you get that kind of a conviction at this, you know, at an age when you started this?
1: Uh- <laughs> I think it's a combination of uh, having parents who are just supremely confident that I'll give my best to whatever I do and uh, that, you know, experiences and the journey matters a lot more than material things. Yeah. So that's the first thing. Like my parents are not driven by, oh, you have to have earned so much money at such an age or this is a certain career path and so on. So mentally, when you have the support of loved ones, I think that already makes things a lot easier. So that yeah. definitely is the first step. Uh, The second step is also um, the NCPA kind of exposed me to another thing in my personal life. So when I was in management consulting, I was sort of this like very, you have to keep working like a machine and then you make a lot of money and that's just how it's supposed to be. And then you get really rich by the time you're 35 and then you retire was Mm -hmm. the sort of like approach I at least had. When I came to the NCPA, it was the first time I thought, I mean, like I told you, I took a 50% salary cut. Right. So I was initially worried if I would even be able to save, because I was living in South Bombay at the time, right, to stay close to the (laughs) NCPA. I actually put together a spreadsheet. And I remember putting like, you know, 70 rupees for a shampoo every month, like 20 rupees for a soap every month, and like everything that I need to kind of live, just putting all the numeric numbers and figures to see if what I was gonna make would be enough. And then I realized that I was actually saving almost the same amount of money than I was uh, saving in management consulting. (laughs) The reasons are many. Now, this is, again, very personal and subjective, but um, when you're in a high-stress job, you kind of like equate spending a lot of money as your way of relaxing.
0: Yes. Yes.
1: At the NCPA, like a lot of the galas and soirées and cocktail events that we would organize would happen at the NCPA. So I didn't have to go out.
0: Transition right there.
1: (laughs) I was right there. And NCPA is where I met really big dignitaries and kind of inspiring people. There was a time when uh, Anand Mahindra was late for the opera at the uh-huh. NCPA. And then uh, they didn't, I mean, he was obviously nice enough to be like, okay, I'm not going to flub the rules. If I have to wait till the gate opens, I will wait. And I was there in the foyer and he and I sat and had an amazing conversation on the business of operating a symphony orchestra. You know, So these kind of really meaningful, rewarding conversations, quality of life, um, the kind of like people you meet that quality of life had gone up a lot more at the NCPA. So it it just exposed me to the fact that it's not just money and fast growth and positions, but what you probably need for a helpful, healthy, happy life is Mm. conversations, these experiences and uh, things like that. So the conviction, the second half of the conviction comes from the fact that I know that my life will be happiest if I'm dealing with the performing arts and entertainment as my daily challenges than something else. Right. And so uh, I can't say I'm already in that super comfortable, happy situation. But I mean, uh, uh, that's, that's, that's the goal that's in my life right now. Like
0: you said, the journey, yeah. you're on the journey and the journey is super fun. More, yeah. Sometimes or most of the times more than the destination. <laughs> yeah. uh, that's, oh, wow. Um, so were you always like that? Were you, to make a decision, you would put down a spreadsheet? Or was that
1: something no, that... Not- I was totally not that guy. I mean, I was, uh, I mean, it was definitely very organized and uh, structured uh, till then, but not mm-hmm. to the point of actually putting down the spreadsheet. The spreadsheet was more because it was such a dramatic and drastic change. Yeah. See, till then I was doing all the standard expected stuff, right? Like you go to IIT, you study, yeah. you become first in class and you do all of those things. So it was kind of like, okay, you didn't have to think so much. Uh, and family knew where you'd go with that. Like my dad was academically brilliant.
0: Mm-hmm. So he
1: fine after that was, this is what you do you get into a software or like a technology company and then you build your career there blah 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 that's what he was doing but this space they had no clue about so all sure. of a sudden on your own right so i think that's probably why i had to do that and uh, I, I haven't I haven't built that spreadsheet ever since just so
0: I <laughs> cool 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 i'm just yeah just curious because i i know uh i know a few people who are very um sort of yeah, take it to the, uh, to the extreme of measuring everything. And I mean, I run every day if I can. I try my best to run. I'm a big runner. I run like four, six miles every day if I can. But I don't, and I have an Apple Watch to measure, but I don't really go crazy monitoring my stats, no, no, even though that. I can. and I know how to do it but that's not why I run (laughs) and I guess
1: at that time after that I don't think I've ever had to do that again. Interesting
0: interesting Uh, and then so how did you conceive of this idea of Indian raga and the idea of democratizing Indian music and dance?
1: Yeah so um, after NCPA so while I was at NCPA obviously in addition to doing whatever I was doing daily I also was researching on other successful performing arts things across the world so one of my biggest inspirations has been disney and uh, cirque du soleil
0: cirque du soleil yeah That's so just...
1: cirque du soleil for me was just like the way they revolutionized the traditional industry of circus and mm. then made it this like spectacular brand that you know so there's like multiple different influences i've had just kind of thinking through those. i can't i can't point to any one of them being what i want indian raga to be but mm. these are all like each one has taught me something different and so I figured that after NCPI, I should kind of go complete my education. And also the fact that I want to actually work in a for-profit uh, space for entertainment or performing arts. So I came to MIT Sloan uh, to do my MBA. And while I, while I was there, I was the media entertainment guy. Mm-hmm. So I organized a trip to New York. I met with people at Lincoln Center at like all the Broadway musical companies at UCLA, organized panels at these conferences, having all of these conversations. <clears throat> and I was the head of the media entertainment at Sports Club. Uh, At MIT, the the co-president. And uh, I remember I took a class on media innovations or digital innovations at the Media Lab. And uh, the course basically would kind of talk about all of the new media and whatever it does. And the deliverables of the course were to prepare a business plan for your idea by the end of it. So, I was like, okay, great. This would be a great opportunity for me to sort of just like start. If, if I were to ever in future in life start <laughs> you know, maybe this could come in handy. So, that's one thing that I did. And that was the first ever business plan for Indian Raga that I made uh, during that time. Uh, in parallel, there were two things that also happened. One is uh, I read the biographies of MS Subalakshmi and Rukmini Devi Arundel. Oh, wow. Uh, so, MS A Life in Music. And uh, Rukmini Devi Arundale's Got it. And the thing that struck me is how ahead of their time they were.
0: Mm.
1: So the two of them have been pioneers, and they basically changed the face of their music entirely. Like, just very quickly, M S Subbulakshmi was born into a family that was not allowed to kind of, at the time, be married. They would only have patrons, and uh, she was one of the first ones who started like singing like a woman, not like a man. Like women were also expected to sing like men, Carnatic music. Oh, had. wow. And, uh, you know, she, her husband was a brilliant manager. Like they toured internationally. They went and performed at the UN General Assembly. They performed in all of these different places. They were sort of taking inspiration from all of that. They adopted uh, technology like sound recording and mics and all of that, which weren't quite there. So when you look at it, like before them, Carnatic music had a whole other set of rules as well and limitations. And they sort of were smart enough to sort of look at which ones would advance the art form, uh-huh. in, you know, current, in correct form, and which would be helpful for it to grow. She acted in movies. She played the lead role. She played Meera. She was kind of there and that. So if you look at her as an artist and you look at today, whatever we say, I mean, really, they were very, very ahead of their time. Yeah. And Rukmini Devi Arundel took this like Devdasi art form, kind of like modernized it in whatever form. She took inspiration from Martha Graham like this international like you know dancer and uh, she kind of added that in she learned it herself at a later age and then she created the format for it and did all of these things and all of a sudden you stop seeing these as centuries old art forms that you cannot change and you see them as like growing breathing art forms that are there for each generation to take forward in their own way. Right, right. So that was one thing that was playing on my mind at the same time. So there was the business plan I was building. There was these influences. And there was also this uh, creative high-impact ventures course that I cross-registered for at Harvard Business School by this professor Mukti Kheri. And uh, we were sort of looking at business models in all forms of uh, creative endeavor. So we had uh, the head of Sundance come and speak with Mm -hmm. us, uh, Chanel, um, uh, you know, uh, I'm forgetting the of there's a cuisine-related competition that happens. And so all of these different models and the roles that each person plays, producer, distributor, what are the stakeholders. So I think through all of those things, I just um, came up with what I thought was the initial plan of Indian Raga. And the thing that helped me launch was uh, the founder of Behance.net, uh, uh, Scott Belsky. Scott Belsky yep. Yeah, he came to class one day. And I had decided in my business plan, in my other class, that I will launch a two-sided platform where there'll be artists and there'll be opportunities. And so I just told him that, hey, this is very similar to Behance. Like, you know, what would be your advice for me and all of that? And he told me that just make sure that the first sixty people on your platform as artists are the very best.
0: Huh.
1: Right before you open it up to the world, just make sure that you start off uh, in a curated fashion. I see. And so that's why I decided to launch. The first thing in Indian Raga as an Indian Raga Fellowship. I see. So today, not many people might realize it, but at the time, the fellowship was not supposed to be the core of what we do. The fellowship was only my initial marketing activity to get the very best people onto the platform. Gotcha. So, you know, we launched it and we got these incredible people who came in and I was very happy and I was basically making them create profiles and kind of like pitch to opportunities and do stuff like that. But of course, then uh, I'm sure we'll come to that separately again. But things took a turn, you know, for a different model and things change. But that really is how Indian Raga kind of got started. And it was sort of relatively easier for me because I was still a student at MIT. So okay, it's yeah. I was already done and I had to kind of fend for myself or whatever. So I kind of took it at the right time, I think. I I raised some money uh, from this like generous uh, donor from Florida do mm-hmm. uh, that, and just uh, that was the first time I ever did a music video. Like, I had no idea of production, like, none, zero. <laughs> I had no idea what a camera, how it worked, like, what you do to even focus a camera, I had no idea. And if you see one of the first few videos called Highlights that we did mm-hmm. uh, in 2013, there's rain. And mm-hmm. me standing on the side of the camera with like a hose turned upwards and like spraying it, <laughs> it goes up and comes down as rain. So, you know, that was literally my first time learning
0: what wow. production is and how it how it looks like wow <laughs> that's a whole um and then um yeah like yeah, you said i mean see. we'll probably get into some of those just wanted to unpack a little bit of um yeah. Yeah. you you had a lot of background i can see how this sort of crescendo or culminated into yeah. a business plan for uh, indian raga and mm-hmm. yeah thanks for sharing some of the uh, things that happened at mit And uh, one of the things that I was wondering about is like, what was the core team? Was it just you initially? How did that founding team come about? Or was it you sort of saying, I'm going to do this and start off with something and then a couple of others join you later?
1: Yeah, so um, I was always going to be, it was very clear that I would be the big driving force behind it. Uh, but I did bring on two dear friends of mine uh, who are also now like indirectly connected. Uh, one is Anushua Mandel, yeah. uh, who also had met, who also joined MIT with me at the same time, but she uh, was doing her master, her PhD. Okay. And uh, she really loved the concept of doing something in this space. And although she didn't have a lot of exposure to the classical arts, she really believed in, you know, mm-hmm. kind of uh, vision behind it. Yep. And uh, we knew even then that she has to complete a PhD so she would not be able to join full time. Mm. But she's still one of my co friends. I'm going to be meeting her in the next three hours with a bunch of friends. And uh, she was really the person managing marketing outreach, branding, and all of that for us and still helps advise us in many capacities. I see. And the other person was Arjun Srinath, who um, was a student in the systems design and manufacturing program at MIT when I was there. Yeah. and uh, We just happened to be on one project together for one of my classes. And he heard me out and he was like, oh, dude, this sounds amazing. Like, you know, I'd love to help him whatever I can. So he built out or like helped build, manage the development of the first ever website of Indian Raga. And he's now working on his own startups and like things in Silicon Valley and so on and planning a move to India soon. But uh, he was also there on board for some time. So that really was the core team that began the company. And, uh, after I decided to do it full time, I sort of took it over and, you know, sort of like ran with it after that, but they both affiliated in their own ways and their advices in various capacities. And we still have like a lovely relationship with them. Uh, uh you know.
0: Okay. Okay. And so this was sort of like organically building. It was not like a formal, okay, now I need to go hire X and I need to go hire Y. Was that sort of the thinking or was it like more for, Hey, I want help here and maybe you can help. And it looks like you have an interest and you believe in the vision. So, would yeah. you come work with me?
1: You know, I've always, for some reason, had this slightly different approach to these things. And, you know, I hope at some point I don't have to rethink it. But I'm not the one who kind of jumps in and says, boom, we now need a five member team, like, you know, managing all of these things. I'm almost like, let's say least get started. Right. You know, build stuff without necessarily kind of like talking all big stuff and just jumping in, we can kind of start doing it on the side through what we do, just try it out, see where we get, get at least to like 1.0. And after that, you can figure out like, you know, what you need and understand. So I'm more of a, let's do first and think later sort of a person. Uh So that's how we got started with that. And very soon you realize like, oh wow, I don't need somebody to help me with legal stuff for so much. Like I'm not like building contracts every day. Or like I don't need a full-time marketing person right now because we first need to at least build the product. <laughs> you know. <laughs> then you so there are some of these things that I decided that we'll just like do as we go. Uh-huh. Uh, it also helped. I don't know if helped or not. I mean, it was a very stressful time at the time. But I am an Indian citizen, mm. so for me, immigration was a big problem. because ah. I was on a student visa, I and see. then uh, you can't uh, start a company, own a majority, and then sort of you know. Uh, also raise a whole bunch of money and then lead it and get your h one b sponsored by the company. It was just like very complex. You don't know how all those things worked. So I think right. for that reason also I said, Okay, let me first get started and we'll see as we go. Um, which Got it.
0: So you actually started off so then you didn't even have an LLC or No, it was a C Corp. And you can do that as a student visa on, on the student visa? Yeah, so um, oh, I see. you can do oh. that
1: in the summer. Uh-huh. So over the summer, it was my one of my internships. Got it. So I was, I, was interning, I did four internships at MIT. I did one with the president of Lincoln Center for the Performing mm-hmm. Arts as a strategy mm-hmm. business development intern. Then I did one internship with the head of global digital business at Sony Music in New York. Mm. Uh, and then my third internship was as Indian Raga when I did the first fellowship. Got it. And after I graduated, that's when I kind of had my O-1 visa. So then I started working with it and now I have my green card. So yeah. So,
0: nice. All right. Wow. Some of those names ring a bell because I'd worked with pretty much all of them. Maybe not the Lincoln Center, but mm-hmm. I I worked in uh, mobile music when ringtones and download music from wow. the phone before iTunes came on. I was working with a startup called uh, Grew Mobile. Okay. This was in two thousand six. Okay. Um, they're just r- r- reminded of all those brand names that, and w- whether it looks to me like. This is a very coordinated evil plan you had all the way from 2005 <laughs> to somehow understand every damn aspect of every media business. But I, I'm not sure if that's the case, but it feels that way now.
1: Well, I was uh, very keen. So in fact, I remember Anand Mahindra then later on interviewed me for the Mahindra scholarship in India. Uh-huh. At MIT. Uh, and I remember him asking me that, why MIT? If you're passionate about arts and entertainment, you should be going to UCLA or something like that. And that's when I told him, uh, and I really believed in it, I said that uh, you can go to a school that is meant for that industry if you're only looking to learn how it works and learn how to get better at that. But here I'm trying to change (coughs) and create a whole new approach to the arts and entertainment space. And I'd rather go to a place where I can learn from other examples in other industries and then apply that to my area of choice. So that's why MIT, because disruption, entrepreneurship, innovation is kind of the core DNA of the school. And absolutely.
0: absolutely. One
1: of the things I wanted to do as a result of that was to look at how other companies are doing, understand what they do. Because yeah. I, think, I think being at the NCPA made me realize one thing. Many of us today, we just, um, I'm including myself as well, we just look at something and be like, oh man, like, you know, look at how that is. I wish they would do this differently. We look yeah. at Bollywood music and say, what man, they don't have any melody nowadays and it's all beats. You know, there really is no innovation. And then when you're actually in that space, Uh you realize all the forces that play upon you and why things work a certain way. The way they work, yeah. Yeah. So I think, which is why I wanted to be respectful of that. I didn't want to jump in and just be like, oh, yeah, we should just do it this way. I'm like, what do I know? Right. So that's why I just wanted to actually, to your point, Uh learn as much as possible. I was even, in fact, planning an internship at Cirque du Soleil before starting school. And uh, because Canada has like immigration laws where it could take me a lot of time to get my visa and work permit. I wasn't able to do that, but I was just really keen on going to all of these places and learning as much as I can.
0: Wow. Wonderful. So, yeah, I mean, absolutely. They, um, I I was part of MIT Sloan and took classes with Appinger for product, Ah. uh, and Rebecca, I think, and even probably attended a couple of lectures from Christensen at HBS for disruption.
1: Great. Good for you. That's one course I couldn't get into. I I know it's
0: super hard. Actually, no, I didn't get into the course. (laughs) Just took a couple of guest lectures because I couldn't get into the course. Uh, But you're so absolutely right on. I mean, to do the kind of disruption that you're trying to do, uh, I think it makes a lot of sense for someone. And when thinking about, should I go to UCLA or uh, MIT or uh, even to be... uh, maybe I'm biased and prejudiced, but just between HBS and MIT, there's a huge stark difference because I took product design from uh, Tom, Tom Reimer or somebody at HBS and I was the only guy with the laptop in the whole class. I went from MIT and in, in our classes at MIT, everybody was working on their laptops. So yeah. I think you need to pick what are you trying to do and then I guess it helps you pick the right MBA program. Sorry yeah. to digress, but going back to the story of you know, conceiving the idea of Indian Raga, the founding team. Uh, just want to hear a little bit about your, if they were at all at the ramen noodle stage.
1: Uh-huh. <laughs> yeah. I remember clearly when we applied to the MIT ideas global challenge
0: uh-huh.
1: and uh, we were one of the only arts companies to be selected in 37 finalists. Oof. This is all about make like social impact across the world. And you know, again, social impact Not many people are thinking of it through the arts. So like everything else was all about like you know uh, working for the underprivileged on like various aspects of health and education. Green and yep. Disaster relief, and we were like the only arts company, and they had a, um, uh, a community choice award where you have to basically get the maximum number of votes. Got it. And they had this extremely painful. I mean, sorry, poor things. I mean, they did a spectacular job, but like the mechanism did not was not as simple as just going and clicking vote.
0: <laughs> it was it like the Al Gore, uh, the the chatting chatting system in Florida when Al Gore ran uh, against Bush. Yeah.
1: No, I'm, sure they, I'm sure they do it better now, but like at the time, you have to basically go, click on something, it'll send you an automated email, then okay. you have to go to your email inbox and then go and like validate it and then come back here, then search for Indian Raga and all of this. Find <laughs> report. I'm like, holy shit, who's going to do this, right? Oneshua like, and I remember, like we basically said, boss, we have to just basically go to everybody who's on a Facebook thing, personally hmm. to each person and hmm. then get them to do it. So we just put on our headphones and I even remember the music piece we were listening to. This is like high powered energy piece called the uh, Zero Hour Mashup of all the Bollywood songs at that time. Like very pumpy, like upbeat yeah. thing. And that played on loop for 250 times in my ears that night. And I just literally wrote to every friend of mine on, the, uh, uh, on my Facebook. Ooh. And she did with hers. And we basically got the highest number of votes, uh, you know, that year. And then we won the MIT Ideas Global Challenge uh, Community Choice Award. So that uh, was one of the Raman days. <laughs> I day. it's,
0: it's like guerrilla marketing to the yeah. level.
1: Yeah, yeah. because I was just like, no one's going to do this. And especially on Facebook nowadays, when people just post in general, saying, dear friends, do this. I'm like, what? Yeah, like, so many of those messages? Like people need you to kind of like reach out I to them so. and tell them what it means to you. Like literally for us, whoever voted that time, huh. they're, they're going to remember they're, they're very dear to, to us because that really was one of the first steps in the company's, you know, evolution, and I think it made a lot, um, mattered a lot to us. So that was one. Uh, the second was at the Indian Drug Fellowship. Uh, we were just trying to sort of be as scrappy as possible. Mm-hmm. Uh, we basically worked in the backyard of our videographer's uh, house in New York, uh, at his girlfriend's place, actually. He uh, mm-hmm. just set it up over there, and we didn't have the money to kind of go and like do like a uh, completely black box shoot to kind of show rain and all of yep. that. So we started filming at 10 in the night till 5 in the morning because, you know, we, we, we couldn't have like light change. It had to be dark. And, you know, uh, midway we were using color and then that kind of went onto the deck. And then we didn't realize that, you know, it, it's difficult to wash it off. <laughs> so at like 3 in the morning, we just like one of us went out to kind of find bleach <laughs> we store and we came back scrubbing all of us on that floor. And then we were like, thank God it came off and didn't damage the deck. Wow. Uh, yeah, we had like all of really awesome the video, we had to have two of every item because we were going to put them in the fire, the items, if you see the video, you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. So we had to go to a thrift store to kind of buy a necklace that was exactly two necklaces of the same type, right. tie, two ties of the same design, two of the same. So yeah, there were quite a few moments. And then of course the scrappiest of course is uh, the Raman days, um, is me being nomadic for the first year or two after MIT. I gave up my house. You couch surfing? Huh?
0: Were you just couch surfing?
1: Uh, I was just basically being hosted by Indian families across North America.
0: God, oh. So I
1: was building raga labs in different cities. Hmm. And then during that time, I was just sort of staying there, both as a way to learn about my core audience hmm. and also to sort of like not have to, you know, pay rent expensively yeah. in or whatever. So I did that for a full year.
0: This was before Airbnb?
1: It was, no, no, Airbnb was there. There were a few airbnbs that I took. Very but interesting. Uh, Actually, more than the money savings, what I wanted was to, you know, how when you talk to people. Uh, sorry, go ahead. No, so when you talk to people, they'll basically say, oh, Kannadic music, you should do it uh, because it is our culture and our heritage. All the things that you say on Facebook and outside are sort of these very nice politically correct statements. Yeah, yeah. What I wanted was what goes on behind in their minds when no one's watching. <clears throat> Right. Uh, which, okay, I don't mean to sound like a, a, a sneaky guy, but...
0: No, but it is the truth teller. You you need the truth teller, right? I mean, you, you're not looking for bullshit here because... Yeah. The yeah. Bullshit so is what to... has come here so far.
1: Yeah, I wanted to be at their dinner table conversations, on uh. arts, like the other motivations in their life, like what role does it play? And then I realized that like, you know, arts today are very different from before. It's not just about preserving your culture. It's about well-rounded personalities. It's about, you know, teamwork. It's about you know, conquering stage fear, like in my own case, I then look back when I was like having all of these dinner table conversations. The first time I, I was ever on stage
0: mm-hmm. was
1: because of being part of a music choir. Oh, right? wow. <clears throat> I didn't become an eloquent speaker, like, mm-hmm. the initial, like going on stage and sort of having a thousand eyes upon you and sort of having sweaty hands. Yeah. You overcome that slowly when you're part of a music choir group and uh, then slowly you take next step one at a time. And uh, that was thanks to music. So in my mind, the performing arts play a role much bigger than just being, you know, the hallmarks of our tradition. They really develop a lot of core skills that I think are transferable across, you know, anything that you do. And uh, that's one of the reasons why we integrated uh, all of those into our format. So I think those conversations that entire year being in these different households expose me to what all people are looking for their kids to do through the performing arts and really define Indian Raga in a way that's meaningful to them.
0: Tying that to the original mission of Indian Raga. Is it, what was that first in in the beginning? And what is it now? How has it evolved? that
1: Hasn't changed is me just fundamentally wanting to make these art forms cool, exciting, and relevant to people today and to youngsters, especially. Hmm. So that has not changed. I have just uh, had different ways of approaching it. So I think uh, initially we were just thinking of working with artists who had already trained to a great degree and, you know, are looking for opportunities and all of that and work uh-huh. with them. Today we do that as well as people who are like one or two steps before,
0: yeah.
1: so they will drop out and they actually find it to be valuable and kind of, you know, uh, take back a lot from it. So that core like philosophy or spirit behind it is remains the same, but just the kind of different projects and products that we offer have come to be defined through all of my experiences traveling and meeting all of these people.
0: Got it. Got it. Um, what was your, I think you probably touched on this a little bit earlier. What was your minimum viable product, if you will? Yeah. That sort of um, really, like you were saying, you just wanted to do and think as opposed to think, 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 think and do. Yeah. So what was that that you just did to mm-hmm. get started?
1: The Indian Raga Fellowship.
0: And that was like, could you describe a little bit about, was it a website? Was it an app? Was it just talking to people and telling them yeah. this is what it is?
1: Yeah, it's the artist residency. So basically, we just put up a very simple website. Mm-hmm. that just had like It wasn't simple, actually. I think it just uh, unnecessarily complicated it at the time. But <laughs> we built a website where you can basically, like a social media platform where you can uh-huh. create profiles, uh, put yeah. up your music and everything. And then people apply to be fellows and then they come to New York for a week or 10 days and they nice. just like, form groups and jam and then we do the whole audio video production for them. Got it. So That whole thing was my first iteration of Indian Draga, and then we posted that on social media and created oh. profiles for them, tried to promote and market them and things like that. So that was the very first thing that we did.
0: I was going to ask you, what would be your advice to someone who has a vision and a mission that's as big as yours? And uh, not only in terms of financial, I might have read somewhere about you talking about, we, we think this classical music and dance is a billion dollar ARR. Um, but that's fine. I mean, that's, that's a financial side of it, but you're really changing mindsets here. And that's a whole other ball game. And someone who has this same sort of or similar like a huge moonshot vision. What is your advice for them to get started?
1: Yeah, the biggest advice is many times people really can't tell you uh, what they want. And I'm mm-hmm. sure you must have heard this from many other visionary leaders. So like, I'm not the first. to right. this, But you know, surveys uh, only work for, to a certain extent. Uh, yeah. Because till people see something and they latch on to it, like they don't know how to enunciate that this is what I'm looking for. And that the biggest reasoning for me was when we released those videos in 2013 and suddenly there was this flurry of people applying. Huh. Like, wait, none of you guys told me the video mattered to you. Like, you know, and they were like, but we didn't know such a thing is possible. You know what I mean? So yeah. before, oh, this is what artists are looking for. This is what like I would want in this and everything. It was mm-hmm. just like ephemeral, peripheral stuff, which, you know, uh, doesn't go where. So the learning from that is Uh, Try to figure out, like you said, the MVP and this is something MIT really strongly emphasized on as well. And just do that in the most bare bones way possible Mm -hmm. and then learn from that and build on that. Don't assume that what you think people want is what they actually want is the first thing. And the second thing is that there is a huge difference between um, when you're just starting out and then after a few iterations of the product being successful. So the fellowship kind of worked out for a while and, you know, people were initially all scrappy and they kind of came together did this very excitedly. But once our videos started doing well and the thing was more established, then you would see people waltzing in and just being like, oh, yeah, I'm just here for the experience of being a fellow. Like, I really, yeah. didn't see the same level of innovation after a point. Ah. So you really have to kind of keep redefining what the incentives are uh, for people. So I think uh, those are the two big things I would say that there's a difference when you first start and there's a difference between a few iterations down the line.
0: Wonderful. Um, so the whole notion of zero to one versus yeah. one to something else. Yeah. Um, and then you talked about the first customer touch point usually sort of sort of breaks your business plan that you build out in your head. So don't waste too much time building out this business plans. Just go get in touch with the customer. Absolutely. Uh, right, and so you do. You do recommend the Paul Graham's theory of don't do things that don't scale initially.
1: Yes. Oh, so in fact, that's it's so interesting that he said that because I was just sort of like, why didn't you say that before? Because I used yeah. to keep giving myself a lot of grief about not thinking enough of scale all the time. So yeah. I'm such an intuitive person that it's very hard to convince me. That you should do this like defined path, and everybody was talking about scaling, scaling, scaling all the time, and I was just sort of like, wait, before I go scale, let me, I need to know what works. What to scale? <laughs> so I was, yeah, exactly. So like, what to scale? And I'm, you know, I'm in many ways, we're still trying to figure that out. Mm-hmm. Like we're still, we've scaled in some and in some ways, but uh, we haven't uh, obviously taken off like this multi-million dollar venture yet. Mm-hmm. But I think I'm okay with that simply because it really helps to keep refining your product till you know exactly what that is before yeah. you uh, take off. So I yeah, I totally subscribe to that now. But at the time, I, 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 I didn't think much
0: of it. Perfect. Makes sense. I mean, the you touched on the pivoting from like initial social media marketing or create your own profile. Come do your thing. We help you have a page, web page and da 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 for artists or fellows. From that to now you're doing a lot lot of different things based on your learnings yes. as you progress um, could you quickly w- like walk us through someone like me or someone who is an amateur uh, musician or maybe just dabbling with music i mean if assuming that's sort of like your entry point uh, could you walk us through a journey of a student or a, a user or a customer of Indian Raga, where do they start and where, where, where can they end up? Right. So
1: we tried to create this as a pathway uh, for people who've already had some experience in learning.
0: Mm-hmm. So
1: uh, there's very few things that we do for absolute beginners. Yeah. And that's something so we're approaching it from the other side. So we first started with people who are already professional. Then we started coming down to people who are kind of semi-professional. Then we started offering something for those who are sort of like about to get semi-professional and so on. So we didn't start from the opposite end with the beginners. And uh, we do have plans in the near future to do something for them too, which we'll announce very soon. But um, the entry point right now is for someone who's been learning for a few years and who has very solid foundations in pitch rhythm or in the case of dancers like core technique. And then they're looking to basically uh, start collaborating with people. So what you can do is at a very first step, if you just want to sit at home and try it out, then you can just apply to a monthly contest and you can just basically post something from there. And if you win, then we feature and share you. So that's like a very quick win, like just to try and see where you are, how you're doing. Uh, If you want to get some feedback, then we have a performance feedback segment and a certification where you send in a video and then we give you timestamp based feedback so i remember like you know when i was participating in these canada music competitions at the end of it the judge will give some feedback which would be like you know your pitch can be a little better but like over there like some technique can be advanced I'm like what does that even mean like i have no right. idea what that means but now in our feedback we basically tell you at one minute 30 seconds you start. not. So you okay. go see at one minute, 30 seconds, your size is flat. And then you're like, oh my God, like that's what's happening to me. I'm making wow. it wrong. But two minutes, 45 seconds, your aramandi is not proper. Mm. I'm like, oh, got it. Like when I do this particular step, I'm losing out on doing my aramandi properly. So then wow, it really that's really awesome. meaningful for people to go back and fix it. So those are the two like entry stage easy options that we offer. And then after that, when you're ready to sort of collaborate in a group, mm-hmm. we organize something called Raga Labs. Where the idea is that we bring you together with like five or six other artists, dancers or musicians, and we have like a creative lead who will basically give you like an idea that you can all work on Mm -hmm. and we guide you through the whole process. Then we take you into the audio and video recording process and then we kind of like do the editing post-production and then we release it. So that really is your first experience at featuring in a video or doing a collaboration uh, uh, of sorts. Ah. And uh, once you get really good at it and you kind of want to start doing it on your own with a group of people, then you apply to the Indian Raga Fellowship,
0: mm-hmm. which
1: is where there's no mentors who can guide you on the core foundational aspects. But there are people who can provide you ideas on how well your you know, thing is building up. And so once you become a fellow, then you do a lot of productions and then you put it out there and then you start marketing it to live concert organizers. and you know, people who offer opportunities for festivals, corporate conferences, um, workshops and different things.
0: Wow, that, that's pretty Yeah, I can see that I see, I see the path now of some, yeah. how someone's journey could be through different stages yeah. of your
1: in terms of absolute beginners. Um, we've been thinking a lot. Uh, there is a lot of demand for us to launch teaching in different cities. But just because different people want different things, we're still trying to figure out what it is that we could offer in a meaningful way. So I, I would see. say for absolute beginners, we still have relatively fewer options, mm. but for people who are already kind of getting into the more serious aspects of it. There's a whole bunch of things you can do with Indian Raga.
0: Cool, cool, cool. Uh, and on this, probably you're doing some of that research in terms of how do we capture that initial segment of your market, but uh, Students of music today, locally, they're going to a class with a teacher and they're Mm -hmm. going to some recitals every three months or something like that, but they don't necessarily spend the time to practice. I know you have contests so that they can send in something that encourages them to keep going, Yeah, yeah. um, all of that. Um, So how do you sort of growth hack your customer acquisition, if you will?
1: Yeah, so uh, one of the things we do is, Uh, building a lot of community-based stuff. So we know that being social means a lot of other people are watching. Mm -hmm. So for other labs, we're like, one set of students do it, like all of their friends watch and they're like, oh, I want to do that as well. We get a lot of inbound requests. Uh, We also sort of like constantly keep posting on Facebook, Instagram, YouTube. So that is also like an idea for other people to join in. And uh, the third thing we do for the growth hack thing is basically just constantly try to keep building up the brand Like we just performed at the United Uh Nations two days back.
0: Uh
1: We were in the General Assembly and it was the first time in the history of the world that Bharatnatyam performance happened in the UN General Assembly. So you do stuff like that. I think, you know, needless to say, there's a lot of teachers and students who already started reaching out. So a lot of our uh, marketing is inbound and uh, we kind of rely a lot on that. But we're now going to be, uh, because India is now expanding in a big way, and many people are kind of looking to do something with us. Mm. We're trying to do a lot of marketing uh, through uh, targeted advertising and stuff like that in India as well.
0: Gar, sweet, sweet. Wow. That's things that you're breaking new grounds. I mean, this is fantastic for Thank you. Thank you. Taking, taking Indian music. I know many have tried in different ways, but th- this seems very promising. I mean, amazing stuff, man. Uh, switching gears a little bit, I know we're coming coming to the end of this, but just wanted to touch on um, just quickly, if, if you have some routines or things that really helped you, you know, balance this long-term moonshot vision versus, you know, daily grind, mm-hmm. um, do you have any routines, mm-hmm. daily routines or tactics or tips that you use to keep yourself focused on The ball?
1: Uh, Daily routines. Or
0: it doesn't necessarily have to be daily, but I mean, how do you keep the ball, like focus on the ball and not lose sight of it while there are like 55 other things going on Yeah, just in terms of the grind versus also, uh, I mean, yeah, getting the right people in the right seats on the bus. Yeah.
1: So I think uh, one thing would be to... um, to define certain short-term goals in terms of uh, financial sustainability. Yeah. So we are very clear that, you know, there are times when people reach out and say, oh, we are like a non that, you know, really doesn't have a lot of resources. Can you still send people to kind of perform? I know I can hack away and kind of find something, but yeah. that just can take up a lot of my time for no return. So, yeah. you know, you just basically have to say no to some of those things. So I think learning to say no. Uh It's a very important thing that I've uh, at least come and I'm sure I can do it even better, but at least for now, I think that's picking what we do. Like uh, there's a lot of requests to start in new countries and we're always Uh looking at that. But if it's not financially sustainable, we would not invest in that at this point.
0: Makes sense. I mean, that's
1: the things I'm uh, very, very clear about. mm -hmm. The second thing would be to um, not keep launching new products all the time. Mm-hmm. So, there's a lot of like each time I meet someone, they always have like some
0: idea, right? Why can't you do this? Or, yeah, it'd be cool to do, <laughs>
1: yeah, because everyone's so excited about what the company does, which I'm very grateful for. But like, they all kind of feel like, oh, you should be doing this also and that also. And why don't you do this? And why don't you add that? And I'm just like, great, I'll take that into account, listen to how many people are saying it, and then probably do it next year. Mm-hmm. So, I think, uh, uh, just staying focused on a specific set of products at any given point of time and really milking them to see. If it's working, if it's not working, and what's happening with that. Mm-hmm. Uh, the third thing is trying to stay as crappy as possible. So there's always uh, an event you can sponsor. There's always um, a new website development that you could do. Mm-hmm. But not investing in a whole bunch of things and keeping your financial resources focused on growing the current phase of things, I think is very important. Mm-hmm. And then the fourth thing is to sort of empower people to become your ambassadors. So like our fellows basically bring in a lot of the concert opportunities that we get. Yep. Whenever they go and they keep performing, they talk about it and they use and they become ambassadors to the brand and they sort of bring in a lot of conversations, a lot of opportunities that are meaningful to us. So mm-hmm. I think uh, kind of making more people feel like they're ambassadors of your brand, I think really goes a long way in building that sense of community. And uh, what else would I say? I think uh, the I actually, for example, follow a lot of non-classical related media. Or entertainment, so I watch all the latest TV shows. I watch. Yeah. I follow a lot of the latest uh, pop music, even including trashy pop music. I love it.
0: Sure. I, I, I love. Think, I love Kendrick. Kendrick Lamar. Or yeah. I mean, why not?
1: Yeah, I mean, yeah. So, you know, so like all of those, and I think just kind of keep constantly looking at how pop culture is evolving mm-hmm. and where you're placing your genres in context of that, because just in the last ten years, that that thing has changed in a big way. Yeah. So that kind of keeps us uh, looking out for the right opportunity at the right time to kind of do what we do. So when Shape of You came out and we did the cover, I yeah. think that was a great example of how, you know, the right kind of pop music came in with the right kind of talent on our end and we were yeah. able to go ahead and put that out. So staying ahead of those trends, I think has really helped me in a big way. Uh, and what else? I don't know. I don't know if that helps. Super. That that's aspect.
0: awesome. I mean, that that's great number of points you made about Yeah, how you balance these two out. I mean, uh, keeping the eye on the ball and at the same time taking those short steps to make quick wins and keep moving the flywheel around like, uh, right, the good to great. Uh, Lastly, just wanted to quickly ask you a few rapid fire questions. You don't have to answer them rapid fire, but probably very, hopefully they're not tricky (laughs) or, oh my God, what the fuck are you talking about? But just wanted to make it fun. So um, what is your superpower?
1: Oh, I think uh, being a CEO as well as a creative director, uh, being the person who's able to say, okay, this is one of the reasons why this piece might not work. Uh-huh. And this is the reason why it might. And being able to confidently take that call in a company like this makes a big difference, actually. So I think having my own training for over 10 years in Carnatic music, sometimes in learning Broadway sing- style of singing and so on, I think really uh, made a big difference.
0: Cool. Um, any book that... You have gifted a lot to others or recommended?
1: So many, my God. <laughs> uh, so, when it comes to the classical arts, definitely I recommend to everybody to read M.S. Subhilakshmi's biography and Rukmini Devi Arundale's biography for sure. But in the corporate realm, I've been inspired by quite a few. At a very young age, I was inspired by Atlas Shrugged, and I do know that's very controversial, but at that time. What so was I, the name again? Atlas Shrugged what by A. a, a. Uh, that's something I did. And then I read uh, this book called Built to Last
0: yeah of course,
1: which is just phenomenal, I think, like really outlined the differences of things that are just going to kind of like be there for a short while and things that you want to kind of build legacy brands up.
0: Oh, I see, so Jim Collins before he wrote the Good to great
1: yeah, yeah, so last interesting. last uh, was great, and then uh, wow, there's so many books, but it, I think I'd probably code these two for now yeah that's awesome,
0: that's awesome and then uh if you could write something on a full moon. Okay. that the whole world can see. What would you write?
1: Yeah, the, the classical arts are not as antiquated as you think. Ah. You know? I realized that for the first time that Bharatnatyam is what like it's less than 100 years old. Yeah. Right? Like, so I think that's something that was like, a wow, like really sort of a moment for me. So it was called Sadhir previously, and then Devi Devayarundel brought it into its current form and like all of that. So these things are, I don't know if I'll write them in full moon though. Wait, let me think of something else. What would I write?
0: Let me come back to this. <laughs> sure, yeah. And then, uh, do you sometimes feel that you're in a, well, maybe not. I mean, probably true. We all want to keep growing. Do you feel like you're in a box and you want to go to the next box or sort of like next peer in your life? Do you feel that way?
1: The next peer would be doing something else?
0: Not, next, not something else, but like uh, evolving or growing. Okay. Right? I
1: see, I, I'm, I'm always like so Growth mindset. growing that I feel like I'm in a box every day. So, yeah. <laughs> there we go.
0: <laughs> awesome. And then, um, one last thing. And you probably heard this from many people and Peter, Peter Thiel's question, but what is that one thing that you believe in nobody else believes in?
1: Okay. So, I actually do believe that everybody is very creative and talented in performing arts.
0: Oh, in so, performing arts? Oh,
1: yeah, 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 like everyone keeps telling me, no, 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 I can't dance to save my life. I'm tone deaf and all of those things. Uh-huh. But I feel like there is this huge difference between people who've had the right teacher
0: hmm. and
1: those who haven't. So I think it's just about adopting different styles of learning to be able to get there. But I just, I fundamentally believe. So when someone comes and tells me, oh, you have to be all of these XYZ things to be an Indian raga fellow, I'm like, no, you just... <laughs> have to keep pushing and kind of go about it the right way. And I think it, I think everybody can do it. So that's one thing that I believe that I've seen many other people, unfortunately don't. So I'll tell you, when I was learning uh, in New York, I was very curious that same phase. when I saw the Phantom of the Opera and all of those Broadway musicals, I went to a teacher and paid like a whole bunch of money there to kind of learn how to sing Western music. I was just curious what they do. And uh, they basically, the first exercise I did was to put an ice cream stick and balance it on my tongue, like with my tongue sticking out. And do akarams. Oh wow. Like you know, ah okay. and all of that while balancing the ice cream steak. stick: on the, oh. And uh, the thing that he told me is because that will then engage the muscles that oh. have no business in producing sound, so that my throat gets used to producing oh, sound: with
0: the right, the muscles right. Ah, I
1: see. without masking my imperfections. Yeah. And uh, then he was basically like, "Why do you keep looking up all the time when you sing? You don't have to keep looking up at the sky when you sing high notes. So these are things that you otherwise don't know. And when you explain it through the mechanics of performance and when he says, okay, fine, it has to come in a certain way. This is how you project and all of these things. I think that made a whole lot of difference. And I was struggling with exactly those two things uh, in my Indian, uh, you know, singing journey and all of those things. So that's when I realized that first I had dismissed myself as, oh, maybe that's just a limitation of my voice. But then when the right teacher taught it to me in the right way, I kind of picked that up. So I think these things are able you know, people can overcome these things to having the right teacher who explains it in the right way. So I just very strongly believe that it's just the style of teaching that needs to change and anyone has access to this. Mm
0: -hmm. How did you find this person in New York? Was it your own making or?
1: Yeah, no, I just uh, was struggling with this idea in India that, you know, my voice was sounding a little nasal when I was singing or, you know, I was kind of struggling with like posture and all of that. Mm -hmm. And I was constantly like, I just wish I kind of figured out a way around it. I could fix it. Mm -hmm. And and when you know what you're looking for. Yeah. Then you're able to see it. And then, then you're able to it. you only
0: find what you search.
1: <laughs> exactly. You only find what you search for. And this person didn't exactly advertise it that way. But I remember ah. in his, like, whatever description and so on, it just sort of like uh, spoke about not learning new songs, but learning how to improve all of these techniques. And I was like, hey, that's what I want because I'm not looking to learn Western songs right now, right. but I'm looking for these things. And who knows, maybe from a different culture, maybe he can help me out. And turns out he was. Awesome. So I think uh, I do believe in you having having this strong desire and conviction to learn something or to to get something and believing that you can mm. definitely kind of feel, pulls you towards it. Uh,
0: Love attraction, nice.
1: I still haven't answered your own question about what
0: <laughs> full <you> moon. <laughs> which,
1: well, from a very selfish CEO standpoint, I would just say anyone can apply to Indian
0: Raga.
1: You know, half of our questions on Instagram are, can I apply, can I apply? Can I apply? I'm like, what makes you think you can't? <laughs> it says you can apply. Everything we do says you can apply. At the end of all of my videos we have, you can apply. There's an opening animation that's so annoying to people. Even that says you can apply. <laughs> can I apply? And they're like, if
0: you to- can apply
1: yeah so i think yeah i mean you know just forgetting all the philosophy for a moment and just being like my true like marketing self i'm like i love that i would say anybody can apply to <laughs> India. that's thing.
0: an awesome one that's a nice way to end this sriram are there any things that you wanted to bring up that we didn't get a chance to talk about as a parting comment
1: no i think i really enjoyed this this is great thank you i think you asked a lot of pertinent questions about the journey uh, we probably didn't talk too much about like future stuff, but you know, hopefully, yeah. all of this hopefully we'll be-
0: catch up in part two. Yeah, so
1: yeah, really, yeah. Really,
0: really sincerely appreciate your time.
1: Thank you. Thank uh, you for reaching out. And yeah, I can't wait to see like, you know, uh, w- what comes of this conversation.
0: Awesome. Thanks. Yeah. Hey, uh, if people want to connect with you, how yeah. can they, how can they do that?
1: So Sriram, S-R-I-R-A-M at com. Awesome. Yeah. But I'm also there on all the social media handles. So yeah, Sriram, i many everywhere. So they can just. Okay. Like,
0: Sriram, I wish you the best.
1: Thank you. Thanks Thank you for coming Andy. on the show again. Thank you for having me.